gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Fundamism Podcast. I'm your host, Paul J. Long, coming to you all the way from the Fundamism Newsroom, a.k.a. the studio, a.k.a. my COVID office, a.k.a. my home. You guys know what it is. Uh, as we progress uh, through today's episode, I think that many of us are going to relate. Um, we don't know the tale from a mental health perspective that this uh, pandemic is going to play on society. And this guest, our guest today, I am super excited to have because we're going to kind of talk through some of the things that we've experienced in our past that have led us down to a path of a little more uh, resilience in life and getting through challenging times. But before we do that, I'd like to shout out to our sponsor, Charlie Hustle. Charlie Hustle, of course, you know, has been with us from the jump. CharlieHustle.com, if you know nothing about them, I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Without further ado, shattered by suicide, renewed by resilience. I know that sounds uh, a little a little suspect for me to say that so upbeat, but when you meet this gentleman, uh, you'll understand why. Ladies and gentlemen, guests of the Fundamism Podcast, my friend, author, speaker, uh, youth sports champion and advocate, Mr. Jason Holzer. What's good, Jason? Hey, Paul. How's it going, man? Thank you for having me on the show today. Hey, man. I'm on cloud nine and rising, brother. I got uh, I got good people uh, around me, aka you. And so uh, we're off to a good start, my friend. You know, it's always good to have uh, the right people in your corner, man. I think that's uh, a little bit undervalued in our society, and we don't understand the impact that can have on people, for sure. I agree. And, uh, and to take that one step further... When you're present and you're deliberate in finding people and you manifest it the right way, right? Not because you're hungry or thirsty, but just because you're putting out good energy. It's amazing what type of people will find you. Uh, and that's kind of how we connected, which we'll get to in a brief moment. But before we do, Jason, same thing that we do with every guest. What do you do for fun, my friend? Uh, mostly I play with my kids, you know, and my, and my wife and I, we have our date nights and, you know, we... Uh, Every once in a while, we have, you know, a couple over or, you know, some friend of ours that have kids the same age, but, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the dad zone right now. So my fun is my kids fun right now. It's, and it's great. I love it, you know, cause I get to pretend to be a kid myself. So, yes. um, and I have an excuse for it. <laughs> I love that you said pretend to be a kid. <laughs> cause it's you're so not funny. a kid at, at heart. You know, it's, Technically, you know, <laughs> well, from an age perspective, I get it, but you know, I, uh, so I, I'm dropping a, a new fundamental video in the next week or so. And uh, it's, it's fundamental number two, go to a playground and have fun. And what's interesting about that is we as parents, we either go to a playground or drive by a playground on the reg. Uh, but very rarely do we get out unless our kids are with us and go ham and enjoy ourselves like our kids do. So swing on a swing. Uh, you know, twirl around and uh, and you know on a on a what are those things? What are the things that go around? The, the slides or the uh, um, merry-go-rounds or merry-go-rounds. See, yeah. this is how long it's been since <laughs> I've been to a playground. I can't even I can't even say merry-go-round. But nevertheless, I admire individuals like yourself that go out, have fun, and get down to a kid's level. Because quite honestly, uh, I think that sometimes we look at it as getting down to a kid's level and getting out of our head. Um, but I wish we would look at it as getting up to a kid's level and not bothered by all of the drama, anxiety, fears, and challenges that we face as adults every single day. So how old are your kids, my friend? Uh, I have two boys that are four and one. 
Uh, and a funny story, the other day we were at a, a friend's house and they just put in a, uh, a playground in their, in their house and had a, a spiral slide. Well, the spiral slide was not big. Let's put it that way. And so they were like, my wife was like, go down head first. And I was like, I'm not even going to fit in this thing. How am I going to? She's like, try it. And I was like, because I was trying to get my four-year-old to do it because he was in a new place. So if he sees daddy do it, I was like, okay. So I went down. I had to do a full 180 and twist around just to get down the thing. But I made it down. It was uh, it was quite hilarious, actually. But uh, back to playing on the playground. I was like, I was just there two days ago. Yes. Well, uh, many of our listeners have heard me say this, but um, George Bernard Shaw once said that we didn't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. And uh, whenever I see somebody that's that's not fearful to uh, go down heads first in a spiral slide, no matter how small or big it is, uh, I have some admiration in my heart for them. So kudos to you, my friend. Four and one, uh, school is starting. The four-year-old might be in pre-K. Is that accurate? Well, he, uh, he was, we, uh, you know, for the benefit of our family, we, we were keeping him home over the next year. He's, he's two years away from kindergarten. Yes. Um, you know, so everybody's in their own situation and we just felt like for the next year, we're just going to find a way to keep him at home. Sure. You know, be around less kids, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, so we're teaching him stuff while we're here and it's, and it's been good. Well, and the reason why I asked that, Jason, is uh, it's going to segue nicely into the topic for discussion and, and challenges and mental health and all that stuff. You know, so many individuals right now, parents specifically, are really challenged by what to do with the education of our children, not knowing whether school's going to be in person or uh, not in person, whether we're going virtual half days or full days or, you know, two hours, a, two days a week or, you know, all of these questions are coming up. It's creating a lot of anxiety. And so you guys made the decision that we're just going to remove ourselves from all that. We're just going to say, you know what, we're homeschooling this year. Hopefully things come through on the other side uh, in a better position. And next year we'll reassess the situation. How did you come to that conclusion? Yeah, I think it was, um, we, we thought about our entire family. Like, you know, my, my in-laws are in their seventies, you know, and uh, we were like, what is going to be best? And then, you know, I, my son's four. So he really focuses on the social cues of people talking. So if his teachers are wearing masks, like we were, we were thinking of like, is he going to like miss out on some of these, you know, major, like, you know, communication cues as, as a four-year-old. Now I also teach K through four PE. And so we're on a mask and like, I, I teach at St. Therese here and we actually started last week and we've made it a whole week. Everybody's wearing masks. The sixth or eighth grade kids are going two days a week and we're almost a week in. And it's been, you know, those the older kids are Brazilian. They, they get it. They kind of understand it and they just kind of adapt quickly. Um, you know, and so that's part of it's been interesting as well. starting from a teacher standpoint. Yes. Jason, this is something that I did not know about you and something that I'm sure our listeners uh, are immediately going to pick up on. I remember being a child, and of course, my favorite class was always PE. And whenever anybody said, what do you want to grow up to be? It would be like a professional athlete, a firefighter. Was, PE teacher was way up there, dude. Like, you made it. You got it, yeah. fam. Like, you did it. <laughs> how, did you, how did you gravitate towards that position? How did you find that career in life? So funny story, I went to Missouri State University. Um, and, uh, I started off as a computer information systems major, my freshman year. I, yeah. As an AC, I was like, I don't know what to pick, uh, <laughs> information systems. Sure. And then, uh, I took my first Java programming class and I, I got it. I got my first test back. I got a 54%. And I was like, Hmm, 
maybe, you know, sometimes those like failures in life, like, Hey, don't do this. Cause you're going to hate it. That was kind of like, maybe I shouldn't do this. And then my buddy, like I met, he was like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a PE teacher major. I was like, hold on. That's a thing. That's a thing yeah. I was just going to like, okay, I'm, I'm switching my major. And so I, I became a phys ed major. Um, and so I was like taking team sports classes and individual and dual sports classes. And then there was anatomy, kinesiology, and physiology. So there were some tough science classes involved as well. For sure. Um, child psychology, you know, that kind of stuff was all in play, but, for the most part, you know, that made college even more fun. Like it's some of the classes I was taking. Yes. Well, child psychology, uh, what a man, there's just so many, uh, connection points, uh, from a mental health standpoint in your story that, uh, I, I think it's, it's critical that we really just jump in right now. And, uh, the reason being is because as mentioned before, so many individuals are or have been stuck at home. Uh, maybe their incomes have been reduced or completely obliterated, um, struggling to figure out what to do, how to move forward. Um, hurricanes, uh, political landscape, uh, social divisiveness, like it just challenge and anxiety and fear is everywhere. And something that hit you hard at a very young age through your relationship with your father. So talk to us a little bit, Jason, about your childhood growing up and the relationship of your parents and their relationship with you, if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a small town in Missouri near Jefferson city. And, uh, you know, I remember I'm very fond of my childhood. My parents were together for over 20 years. They were high school sweethearts. Um, and you know, they gave me the best that they could. You know, my dad was an electrician, a blue collar worker. Uh, my mom stayed home a very traditional family life. And, uh, you know, I had every opportunity I wanted to succeed. And I, I was on baseball teams. I was on basketball teams. Like sports was my thing. Um, you know, I went to a good school. I went to a great high school uh, that set me up for success, you know. And so I, my, my parents took me to baseball games. They took me to Chiefs games. Like they did everything that – and they also taught me how to work, though, too. Like my, my grandma had a garden the size of a football field. So we would literally go there and we would be like in the dirt working, you know, so I learned um, what, what it means to work for what you want, you know, and that it's not just going to be handed to you, but if you do things in a certain way, then things will come to you at the right time, you know? So they taught me a lot of fundamental things that, that resonate no matter how old you are or no matter what generation, things just kind of repeat themselves. So I was very fortunate to have a, a great home life, a great upbringing, um, all the way through up until, um, you know, I was 17. Um, and when I was 17, you know, I lost my dad to suicide, you know, right before I turned 18. Um, and it was something that I'll never forget. And it's still something that, you know, I say in my book that it's not always an earthquake that hits you. It's the aftershocks afterwards. It's, a, wow, yes. you know, every year it's a reminder of, of the day he passed away, his birthday, my kids' birthdays, Christmas, Easter, you know, every holiday, Thanksgiving, 4th of July, it's kind of a reminder of, oh, he's, he's not here, you know, uh, when we get together as family, that kind of thing. And it's a reminder of why he's not here as well. Sure. Well, uh, you know, first of all, my heart goes out with you as a, uh, as a child of a father that has passed as well. I can certainly relate, although uh, different circumstances uh, and not so abrupt. Uh, I understand the pain of, of loss uh, and specifically somebody that, you know, is the patriarch of your family and somebody that you look up to and, and is supposed to, to lead us uh, through challenge and uh, teach us 
how to uh, become more resilient and, and impactful in life. So, man, your story is just so fascinating. Uh, we connected via LinkedIn, and one of the posts that I saw uh, was related to just one of those reminders that you just referenced. And I think it was a St. Louis Cardinals hat, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. The gift uh, that either you gave your father or your father gave you. So expand upon yeah. it. It was, uh, it was my first gift that I went and bought for my dad. Cause we, I, as a kid, we always went to baseball games. And so the father's day before he passed away, I gave him that hat because I was like, I had been working and, you know, I saved up for it. And I, it was kind of a thank you. Like, Hey dad, like when we go, you have your own official hat. Cause he was more of like a, you know, I'll just take whatever hats there kind of thing. Sure. So I want to get him like a, a like authentic, you know, good one. And then I found it like a couple of weeks after he passed away on my, on my parents' dresser. So I took it and then, you know, I, I did it when most 17 years old, I, I made a little board on it. And, um, you know, so it's kind of been something as I remember what happened. It's also a reminder for me to take care of my mental health. Cause I have a family now I have kids and keep, keep in mind what's most important. Man. So this subject Obviously, fundamentalism can be defined as the fundamentals of a fun and optimistic lifestyle. And as you listen and as you connect uh, with the fundamentalism philosophy, it's easy to say, well, how is suicide fun? And the answer is it's not. Um, However, fundamentalism is a philosophy that could potentially help challenge negativity and challenge heartache and anxiety and potentially gravitate more towards the things that lift you up. So you do realize that there is something worth living for. And so when I, when I think of individuals like you, Jason, and your father, I know that there's so many people out there in this world that have been impacted by suicide, have thought about suicide themselves, um, but the topic is so faux pas and people are so self-conscious about talking about it that oftentimes we don't get the help that we need and we miss out on the signs. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted you on the podcast is to kind of talk through um, the experience growing up and, and, your, and your father's, you mentioned that your, your dad was an electrician, uh, blue collar, uh, him and your mother had a great relationship. They taught you a lot of things, uh, fundamental things. And, and I love the spin that you put on it, that things that repeat themselves, things continuously repeat yourself. So if you find a process that's proven to work, then replicate it and you're improving the quality of life or potentially probability of success. Were there any red flags? And if so, what were they uh, in your father um, ultimately ending his life? Yeah, you know, um, when you're 17, you kind of have this like tunnel vision, you know, you're, it's like you're, you have school, maybe you have a sport, you have a job and parents are here. So everything's good. It was kind of like how I was feeling at the time. And then, you know, a couple of years ago, I, had, I did ask my mom, I was like, hey, was there anything? Because afterwards, there was no note, there was no clue, there was, you know, no plan, there's nothing like that. You know, it was just here one day, gone the next. Um, and she was like, well, his job was really getting down on him because it was, he was a foreman or a supervisor over the new penitentiary in Jefferson City. And that was like right at the turn of the digital age. And he was getting blueprints from, from the state that weren't matching up with what was supposed to happen. And he was getting pressure from other supervisors to get done on making deadlines. And I think it just wore down on him trying to please other people and trying to get other people's approval. And I think he ended up losing himself in the process. It's kind of like, I don't know that for sure, but that's kind of like the pieces that I put together. Sure. And it seems like that's kind of what happened as I can look back and reflect on. 
My goodness. Um, have you ever been in a job that you just, that did not bring you strength? Like that you had disdain and going to, or you didn't look forward to it? Um, I think whenever I was younger, and then, you know, there was a couple of times, like right after college, I didn't get my teaching job. So I had to do like, you know, work at the Y or I had to do some things that, you know, it, it gave me experience per se, but it wasn't what I wanted to do, you know? Right. So there were times, yeah, that I've had those jobs that I was like, I really don't want to do this right now. Sure. Yeah. Well, why I asked that question, of course, is because I know that there's so many folks out there that are unhappy in their current situation. I used to do a ton of work in, in call centers and people would say, I hate this job. And I'd say, quit. And they'd say, well, I can't quit. I'm making too much money or I got a family to feed or, you know, we got rent or whatever it may be. And it's, it, it just amazes me how many people make decisions uh, based on what they feel they need as opposed to the joy that they feel or get in return from something. And I know that that's not always easy, right? Because you do have to make sacrifices and prioritize your happiness and identify those things that give you strength. But when I hear stories of, of, of your father, and, and I know that, that you don't know that for certain in terms of um, you know, the job being the catalyst that ultimately got him to a place where he didn't want to do it anymore, it, it obviously plays a role, right? Whether it was the catalyst or not, he wasn't getting strength from his occupation. He felt the pressure of a lot of people. How do you, how do you deal with pressure knowing that ultimately pressure got to your father to a point where he could no longer take it anymore. How did you learn from that experience and be able to handle pressure a little bit more uh, resiliently? Yeah, I think, you know, what I've learned is uh, a couple of things is that, you know, anything big that you're trying to tackle, break it down into smaller steps. And just uh, the other day I posted like little wins lead to big victories. So just taking what you can do today and being okay with if you didn't get it done. And, and if, if other people are upset with you and you know you did the best you could, that's their opinion. Like don't let other people's opinions sway what you do as long as you know you've put your best foot forward. Hmm. You know, because there's going to be other people that have their expectations on you about what you're supposed to be doing or, you know, their opinions. Or, But the reality of it is that they're not living your life. Right. You know, they're not the ones that have to, you know, take care of themselves. They're not the ones, you know, that are, know, in control of their own destiny, you know? So I think it's, you know, giving your best and, and being happy with that. If you know, you gave your best, then just try to get a little bit better tomorrow. Mm. You guys hear what he just said. There's a lot of people on this planet that are willing to give you opinions of what you should or should not be doing. Ultimately, they're not living your life. And so you have to make a conscious decision. I mean, some folks will give you your, their opinion of what you're doing if you ask for it. Some of them will give it to you even if you don't ask for it. And at the end of the day, um, there is one person that you have to live every waking moment with, and that's yourself. And so waking up and feeling comfortable in your skin and gravitating towards the things that make you smile and that give you strength obviously can help better equip you to handle challenging situations or deal with difficult relationships. So you took this whole experience, Jason, and you wrote a book about it. It's called Shattered by Suicide, Renewed by Resilience. Uh, if you were to kind of break that down in a you know one to two minute synopsis, tell us about the whole premise of the book. Yeah. it's uh, So the first part of it is a first person story of what somebody, a, a suicide loss survivor goes through. I, from a 17-year-old boy perspective, what I went through. 
I wanted people to understand everything I was feeling, everything I was going through from the point leading up to it to a couple of years afterwards. And then I didn't want it just to be my story. I wanted to have like a crescendo winning, like a, a good feeling like, hey, you know, if he did it, I can do it too. So the second part of it is the things that I've learned, the things that I've put into place in my own life that have helped me be thankful for where I'm at today as I reflect back where I was half my lifetime ago. Mm. Um, and I think the biggest contributor to that was I asked for mentors. Like I'm a, I'm a man of faith and I was like, God, I need mentors. My main mentor, my man was not here. And that's what I contribute a lot of my success to is I sought out people that were doing what I wanted to do or what I want to do. And I either follow them because I don't know them or I try to figure out how to get to them and, yeah. and ask them, what do you do every day? And then I just, again, imitate what they do. Sure. You know? Yeah, somebody once told me if you want to be successful, find uh, what other successful people are doing and replicate it. Um, I've never been too good at that because <laughs> I'm so focused on uh, the mistakes or, or goals that, uh, that I'm trying to achieve that uh, oftentimes I don't take the time to figure out what everybody else is doing. So that's, uh, that's something that I definitely need to do a little bit better of. Uh, for the sake of the, the Fundamism Podcast listener, I'd like to kind of take folks through a, a small a small excerpt of your book and specifically the two experiences uh, that you leveraged as the premise of the overarching theme in the book. So specifically, what are the emotions and, and the thought process as you were going through the passing of your father? And then ultimately things that you learned as a result, in addition to obviously the mentors and replicating what other successful people are doing. So the reason why I think this is important, Jason, is because Again, I feel like this topic is somewhat faux pas in that people aren't comfortable talking about it. But if you and I could open our hearts and be a little vulnerable in, in the loss of our loved ones and talk a little bit about that emotional distress that we felt and how we got through it, and it connects with one to two or maybe even three people that say, yes, I know that, or I felt that, or I'm going through that right now, then maybe somebody could potentially leverage this platform to get through a challenging time. So if you don't mind, take us back to a 17-year-old boy. You, you heard the news. In the book, what specifically do you talk about and the emotions that you felt? Yeah, I mean, I, I talked about, uh, you know, I felt almost every negative emotion possible. You, you go from anger, sadness, abandonment, confusion. Um, all of these things are almost happening in my mind at once. I was like, why would he do that? Like, oh, my dad's gone. Oh man, I'm so sad. Oh, I'm so pissed off that I'm not, not now that he's gone. That he left me here with my mom and my sisters. And I feel like I'm expected to be the man of the house. I'm only 17. How do I, I'm, I'm making $8 an hour. I'm a junior in high school. You know, like all of these like, like swirls of emotions that are just going through my head. And then I got to a point where like, I just went numb. Like I would, I would go back and forth between feeling everything and feeling nothing because of the the whirlwind that is losing somebody not only i mean it's, it's tough to lose somebody in general but losing somebody to suicide adds more complexities because there's that there's that ever question of why like why would you do this and and the person that can answer that isn't here anymore you know the person that you would want to know so you know that's what i struggled with not just not just immediately paul this was like you know three years four years five six you know even at the end of my mid twenties, you know, this was something I was internally fighting that battle within. Um, and it was, I, I tried to stay positive and I, you know, on the external, I did a good job of hiding it. I did a good job of 
seeming like, hey, Jason's good. But there's a lot of things that I was I was struggling with internally, you know, for sure. Now, knowing that there's there's no right answer to how an individual grieves or copes um, or deals with loss. Um, when I lost my father, it wasn't an immediate thing. I mean, my dad, um, it's kind of hard for me to say, I almost look at it as a, a prolonged uh, suicide attempt. I mean, he would talk about suicide all the time. Uh, you know, what would happen if I wasn't here? Or, you know, I got a bullet with my name on Like he would say these things openly. Mm. Um, but, but most of the time, Jason, it was uh, a byproduct of an addiction that he had. It was, it was not him that was talking. It was uh, some medicines or pain or whatever it may be. But when I said a, a prolonged suicide, I mean, really my dad for the last seven to 10 years of his life, um, his diet consisted of uh, two liter bottles of Coke and uh, ding dongs and ho-hos or uh, simply caramel Milky Ways. And, and, you know, unfortunately I contributed to that, like Christmas, what do you get dad? Like he doesn't do anything. Let's get him a box of 10 uh, simple, simply caramel Milky Ways. Right. And, uh, and he was ecstatic by that. Um, but he, he kind of looked at this, this moment where he, um, years prior to he filed bankruptcy and, and kind of lost uh, a little bit of himself in that and what he thought that his, his ultimate goal was in life. Um, but then it progressed into pain and addiction and all of that stuff. And when he was diagnosed with this degenerative disc disease, he really looked at it kind of as an opportunity, Jason, to give up. Like he, mm. he, he stopped working. He filed for disability. He would still tinker around in the garage. But for the most part, he, he stayed uh, and set up shop primarily in a, in a recliner and didn't move very much, didn't get any exercise or anything like that. So the reason why I'm telling you all of this is because uh, when I say a prolonged suicide, he knew that he was killing himself. Like he didn't have any um, any circulation in his legs. Uh, his ankles would swell up great big. Uh, he knew that he wasn't living a healthy lifestyle. He knew the pain that it was causing us. Um, and he didn't choose to do something about it. So um, I'm setting the stage right now to kind of talk to you a little bit about my grieving process and um, hopefully... Uh, get a little bit more perspective on whether it's right or wrong or potentially relate to other individuals that are listening. So when my, when my father passed, knowing that it was such a prolonged experience, Jason, um, I was in Portland, Oregon with my wife and our daughter, Adeline. And there was that initial shock uh, of, oh my gosh, like my dad's gone. I got to get home. I got to be the patriarch. Like you said, I got to I got to be now the individual that provides strength and gets through this challenging time. And so for the first like two days, I would say I didn't even really cry or grieve. And, uh, and it was a song that, that finally I heard, um, I will follow you into the dark by death cab for cutie that really resonated with me. And all of a sudden just, it finally gave me the opportunity or the blessing to grieve since that day, Jason, you mentioned something, um, that, that really grabbed at my heartstrings. You said that uh, I, I, there was a time where I had all the emotions and there were times where I was completely numb. Since that day, when I think of my dad, and it's been uh, just over five years now, there's no like, uh, like I, I don't have anger. Uh, I, I don't even have, um, I'm, I'm uh, uh, this is terrible for me to say, I don't think, oh my gosh, I miss him. I don't think, 
of terrible things. I don't think of great things. He's just my dad, you know, somebody that I loved and, and, uh, that I have memories for, but I don't carry anger or, uh, or, or anything else in my heart for that. So my question to you is, I guess in hearing you speak, um, numbness is kind of what I still feel to this day, even after five years, is that acceptable? Or would you say, and I, and I guess I, again, I know there's no wrong or right answer. My body consistently tells me that I'm festering something deep down inside. And I got to, I got to address that if I want to maximize my life experience, but I don't know that I feel that way. What are your thoughts? Mm -hmm. You know, I think any, any emotion, this is what I learned, any emotion that's suppressed, which, which we as men are very good at doing, yes. eventually gets expressed. Okay. So, you know, it, it, whether you consciously express it or not. And for me, like when I realized that I had some things going on inside of me that I had needed to figure out, it came through dreams. Like I, whenever I would unconsciously go to sleep, I would have these, and I talk about my dreams in my book, I would have these very angry dreams that. And I, I would wake up and like had to like see like okay was that real am I am I you know it, it felt so real like there was dreams that I, I felt like my dad like was like a yo-yo dad he would come back and forth or yeah. he would like he left this just left our family he was still alive but he was somewhere else you know so that's kind of how I was in a similar situation with you about again it was about five to six years after my dad passed away and what I found was I found a an exercise called continuous forgiveness. And, and I realized that I hadn't forgiven myself or my dad for what had happened. I had some dad wounds, you know, and, and I had them in myself. Um, and it was, it was almost like shackles all around my feet that were slowing me down. Mm. And so when I found this, this forgiveness exercise, and people think that forgiveness is something you do for somebody else. The reality of it is forgiveness is what you do for yourself to release those, you know, hidden, suppressed emotions that kind of, you know, dig down deep that you really got to, for lack of a better term, excavate out. Mm. Um, and what it is, is it's you, any, any kind of negative emotion or like, for example, dad, you missed the birth of your grandsons. Like you feel that you allow yourself to feel that anger for a second. And then you let it go by saying on the, like, on the other side of a sheet of paper, I forgive you. And then you just release it, you know? And, and then, you, and I have to do that continuously because again, as things come up in life and I see my kids playing, um, you know, my mom's just there and I, and I can imagine him being there and how fun of a grandpa he would have been. Like it, it like it irritates me. It ticks me off sometimes, but like, you know, this is, this, this is what I have to face. This is the reality of it. Dad, I wish you were here to be a great grandpa. Hmm. I, I forgive you, you know? So I think it's, I think it's really getting to understand what things that your dad left behind that you wish he was still here for. And then just allowing yourself to just let it go. Man, this concept of continuous forgiveness is something that I think we're obviously talking about the ultimate extreme, right? And making a very finite uh, and definitive decision to where it's all over. But I think that so many people listening, including myself, to you talk can relate to this concept of forgiveness and thinking of it from the perspective of, do I forgive uh, my dad for not being here? Do I forgive uh, my wife for not making toasted ravioli? Do I forgive my son for not cleaning his room or whatever it may be? And I've never heard in my now 39 years of living, Jason, 
I've never heard anybody approach forgiveness by saying, you're not forgiving them. That, that is for yourself. Forgiving yourself. You're doing it for yourself. You're letting go of that emotional attachment and excavating out those, those negative emotions to move forward in life. Dude, that's brilliant. And I really, I really appreciate that particular topic or concept. So as we, as we talk about forgiveness, there's a lot of individuals that can relate to this, this concept of suicide. And, and um, I want to wrap this up to then talk through what you've learned, the second aspect of your book, things that you learned as a result and what you're doing now in the space to not only help yourself, uh, but others, including children, but not limited to. So um, I've thought about suicide, Jason, in my life. Like I, uh, as a generally happy, upbeat, extroverted man who really doesn't want for much because I'm driven so much by joy and happiness that uh, for the most part, I'm content. I still have these moments in my life, and more so uh, pre-35 than after 35, these moments where I'd be laying in my bed and I'd be stressed about something, my job, uh, a terrible relationship that I was in, um, maybe my dad, whatever it may be. And I thought to myself for a fleeting moment, maybe life would be so much easier if I just didn't have to deal with it. Like if I just didn't have to address these issues and I was gone, would life be easier? What would, what would it be like? What would my family or friends do if I committed suicide? Like I would consciously think about that. And if anybody's listening to this and they're truly being honest with themselves, I'd ask you, have you, and if so, how many times have you thought about that? Yeah. You know, I, I think it's like something that passes through everybody's mind at some point. I think like if we're real with each other, like we think about, and I've even, there's even been like some teachers of mine that have said like, hey, write out your eulogy. And that, not in like a suicidal way, but like sure. when you think about the end of your life, because at, at the end of the day, all of us, we're, we're all here for so long, you know, sure. what do you want to be remembered by? And yeah. so when things like that happen and I, and I see my, what happened to my dad and how it ended with him, like. That's not what I want. I don't want to have the people to find great memories of me so that they, they cover over the ending. Right. You know, I want to, it, and so as I see those, you know, I don't get emotionally involved in them. It's like clouds passing in the sky. You know, you have you have dark clouds. We, we had a storm here yesterday. You can have storms go through, but at the end of the day, the sun always comes out. Yeah. You know, the sun even even peeks through the clouds. You know, so I think you kind of see in your thoughts as clouds, and then if you just allow them, kind of okay, I see you up there. I acknowledge you. Just slide it across, you know. It's almost yeah. like Tinder for like the ones you don't like. You just swipe left. <laughs> ones you like, you know, boom. So, <laughs> coming from two married men, uh, babe, I don't even know what Tinder is. I have no idea. I don't know. What I heard it from a. I heard it from a student. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Clouds passing in the sky, uh, guys. I hope that what you're hearing Jason and I talk about is something that connects with you in a manner uh, or in a way that potentially really opens your eyes. Um, the reason why I want to be vulnerable and share my story and my journey and open up about thoughts that I've had is because you never know what somebody's going through in their head, just like Jason's dad. Like there were very many red flags and all of a sudden uh, he's gone and it's a surprise. And the, the destruction, the trail of destruction that was left in his wake as a result of that, that, that definitive decision that he chose to make it's it's really impacted so many people, including 
uh, this beautiful soul that joins us today. So th- these are fleeting thoughts. I've thought about it, but that's where that's where it resided in thought. And I never thought about, well, how would I do it? My point in saying this to you is clouds passing in the sky, like Jason said. It's okay for you to address the fact that challenge is real. And maybe, just maybe, it would be easier if you didn't have to deal with it. Of course, life would be easier if you didn't have to deal with challenge. But ultimately, challenge is short-lived. And so as you realize that these are all clouds passing in the sky, and this too shall pass, and you ultimately figure out what makes you smile, how to get through these challenging situations, then life is better as a result. Jason, I have never met somebody that's as happy as you in life that didn't have a defining moment in their life where they really went through the struggle, like that oh, that gut punch that was like, damn, this sucks. What did you learn from all, you, you, in your book, things that you learned, uh, one of which was find successful people, gravitate towards mentors. What are some other things that you learned? Um, I learned gratitude is is essential like because it, it helps you focus on what you have and not what you don't have hmm. i've learned about presence and that's something that i really am am consciously working on because you know you have so many distractions in the world with your phones your you know you name it um media all that kind of stuff but i think the two things to me that that have really resonated is gratitude every morning i wake up and i'm just I, i'm thankful for what i have today hmm. i'm also thankful for what's coming in the future because you you can you can do what's called like remember the future. A lot of people focus on remembering the past, but like really thinking about what you want ahead and being thankful that it, it could be on its way in some form, and being thankful for what you have now. If we would stop and think about what we want as opposed to what we don't, and stop thinking about what we don't want, you'd be amazed about how quickly your life can change. Mm. Um, so those are the main things I learned. And and my kids, you know, everybody says your kids grow fast, your kids grow fast. So my goal is to, uh, you know, whether I spend five hours with them a day or two or 30 minutes or however long it is, like my goal is, again, to try to be as present as possible. I'm not always good at it. And I admit that, but I try to get better at it. I try to be more, I put the phone in the other room, take my, take my watch off, you know, whatever, and literally just be with them at the age that they're at, whether they're, that's, that's, that's the good times and bad, just like marriage, like whether he's like throwing a fit or whatever, because he wants to watch another show or for, you know, playing Lincoln logs, you know, something like that. So, um, I think those two things are the one of the things that really, you know, resonate with me as far as what I've taken away from, from the things that I've learned. Yes. Gratitude and focusing on what you have as opposed to what you don't and presence. I love that thinking about what you want as opposed to what you don't, setting aside distractions. I love that you really gave some tactical um, things that you're doing in your life, uh, i.e. taking the watch off and putting it away or putting the phone down or whatever it may be. So being present means literally taking in the experience that you have right before you and alleviating distraction. So if that means that all of a sudden you have to take a deep breath and focus on your inhalation and exhalation, Uh, If it means that you have to look around and identify five things in the room that you're thankful for, uh, if you have to literally force yourself to find a smile, uh, when you're out on a walk, finding three rocks, uh, asking yourself, what sounds do I hear in this room or outside right now? All of these are activities that you could do to force yourself to be present. So 
man, kudos to you. I love what you're doing. Um, and this backstory really kind of sets the precedent or rather the stage for how you're leveraging these, these, these experiences in your life to help the masses. So what are you doing now, Jason? Yeah, you know, I'm still teaching, uh, you know, and then I'm, I'm entrepreneur by morning, teacher by afternoon. So um, I have my book and then I'm working on, I actually have a, uh, talking with somebody about speaking in October at a grief symposium in, uh, online in Florida. Um, so that's exciting. And then I'm also building a company that is online that teaches essential life skills through sports because sports, again, is something I've always loved and that resonates with us, uh, me and my, my colleague that's built this out with us. And we believe that that sports can be a platform that we can teach so many life skills to kids before they get to adulthood that no matter what they do after they pivot, they get done playing sports, they can be successful in any profession that they do. They can have the resilience, the grit, the tenacity, whatever you call it, to go after what they want and not necessarily settle for what 85% of Americans do for a job that they hate mm. and they don't have any passion for. Yes, man. This is, uh, this is really exciting stuff for me because what you're defining now uh, are what I call the fundamentals of a fun and optimistic lifestyle, right? So gravitating towards things that allow you to be present, allow you to uh, appreciate what you have. And rather than becoming 85% of society and a job that you hate, um, identifying things that you love and manifesting those. And for you, uh, one of those things that always has been since you were a child uh, we're sports. And so here you are, uh, entrepreneur uh, by night, uh, creating a business around uh, essential life skills through sports. So what were some of your favorite sports growing up? Uh, baseball and basketball. And I always loved watching football, but I, you know, I weighed like a buck 16 as a kid. I was like, a, so if I went on a football field, so I would get crushed. Like there's, I had no business being on a football field. Right. You know, I, I love to watch it. It's fun to play backyard football, but I, I was aware. I was like, that's not for me. Nope. Yes. I'm going to die if I go out there. Uh, <laughs> those dudes are huge. I'm not, you know, but, uh, cause I was like the leadoff guy in baseball. You know, I was like the, you know, back in the day you call like Gerard Dyson kind of guy, like, I, yeah. you know, get down the line get a double or whatever, um, play center field. And then basketball, you know, I was the shooting guard or, you know, the point guard. And, uh, one of my funnest things or my favorite memories is, you know, playing ball and they play, Hey, shooter, shooter. I was like, yep, that's me. You better guard me, you know, kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> So that's where, you know, I learned one time that, you know, your passions are what do what resonates with you. And as a kid, what, what I find were my best moments were when I was playing sports and my hardest moment was I lost my dad to suicide. So that's when I was like sports and suicide prevention. That's that feels like what resonates with me, you know, and when you do what resonates with you, that's different than what you want to do, or what you always like to do sometimes. But things that really connect with you and you can go back to your childhood and think about what did I like to do from five to 25 or what were my hardest moments from five to 25 or even 35 or whenever in your life they are. But start, if you start going towards those spaces, you'll find doors open just, you know, as you, as you step into that space. Just so you know, whenever I look down, Jason, I'm just taking a wealth of notes of all the little tidbits of information you're giving us. Um, do what resonates with you. You know, we, and you, you said it, there's a theme in any, any kind of guidance that you've given yourself and as a byproduct now, others are getting uh, as a result. It's, it's focusing so much more on what you want or what you have 
uh, or what you've had as opposed to what you didn't or what you don't. Like we, we gravitate so much in our heads to what's not working or what doesn't make us happy or whatever it may be that we lose sight of what resonates with us. And so much so that uh, I did a gig the other day. It was a, it was a virtual gig with a, a, a fortune, uh, fortune 300 company. And I invited a friend and, and uh, we got done and he called me up and we were debriefing the whole deal. He was like, Paul, your, your stuff is uh, it's, it's so basic. You know, it's so, it's so almost uh, rudimentary. He was kind of skirting around, you know, it, it, the fact that uh, it's very common sense oriented. And it is Jason, my stuff is so basic and it's so common sense oriented, but yet we don't do it. Uh, we refrain from gravitating towards the things that lift us up or focusing on what we have or focusing on, uh, what we want. Uh, rather what we do is we focus on all the crap that's not working. And so when you say do what resonates with you and you put it in terms of some of my best moments in life were playing sports and obviously the worst moment in my life was, was my dad passing. So how do I create uh, a life experience where I can build upon sports and grow from my dad passing. Dude, that's amazing. Like, this is obviously you can tell by my passion that I'm super excited and I admire what you're doing in the space. Um, as we kind of start to, to put a wrap uh, on this thing and tie this thing up with a nice, beautiful bow, obviously I know baseball and basketball resonate with you a great deal. I'm the same boat. Uh, I was actually fearful of playing baseball for the same reason that you were fearful of, of playing football. I never wanted to get hit by a ball. <laughs> So I threw all of my energy at basketball and I persevered through the old uh, airball Paul uh, moniker that was gifted <laughs> to me in fifth grade. Uh, and I became a shooter as well. Uh, but then as time progressed and I got in the weight room, I became more just a slasher and a disher. So I, uh, I, I really uh, relate to the point guard mentality that you have and giving everybody else the glory, brother. Like I'm just yeah. tossing out assists. How That's can we you up? That's dropping right. dimes, dropping <laughs> dimes. <laughs> so when we think about fundamentals and things that give you a strength. We talked about what's resonating with you, helping others, uh, mentoring, uh, teaching essential life skills through sports, uh, basketball specifically, baseball, Royals. I know you're a Royals fan. Uh, you mentioned that your son, uh, sometimes like he might throw a fit about not watching a show uh, or having to turn a show off. What, what are some of the shows uh, movies, uh, maybe albums that have resonated with you through the years, because I know that those things are so pivotal in helping others through challenging times that I want to start asking this question to everybody on the Fundamism podcast. You, uh, you remember the show Home Improvement? Hell yeah. <laughs> I don't think so, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> that show, like, I, it was on Google Play. It was like $20 for the first season. I was like, buying it. I didn't even like think about it. I'm like, and so I watched it. I remember my, you know, that was something my dad liked to watch. We would sit down and watch the other family. So it was like, how do I take this situation of losing my dad, but still find the joy of the fun things that we used to do together. And so, man, watching home improvement. Oh my gosh, dude. Like it was so funny. And then it, you like, you have some episodes that you forget about. You're like, that's still funny. You know, cause some movies you watch from like whenever you were a kid, you're like, Oh, that's bad. <laughs> You know, like 
one time we were on a, we were on a road trip. I was like, oh, Milo Oates. I remember that. I loved that show as a kid. I watched it. I was like, oh, ooh. terrible. <laughs> well, what it's I love good. about the home improvement uh, affection is that you've slowly morphed into Wilson. Like <laughs> in your life, you're the guy now that just helps people through challenging like, times and drops knowledge on them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I need like a bucket hat and a fence. I'm good. That's exactly right. <laughs> Jason, um, I took so many nuggets away as evidenced by my notes uh, and some of the tangents that I got off, got off on uh, on my soapbox because uh, they really hit me. Um, thinking about what you lost and thinking about um, – the decision that your father made, and obviously you never know what, what somebody's going through. Me personally, I, I want to tell any individual that is contemplating uh, the finality of life, uh, don't do it. Like, please find help, uh, create conversation, look around and to Jason's point, be present in all the things that make you smile and the loving nature of those around you. Because um, even if you don't feel it or you don't know it's there, it is. And that decision to ultimately call it quits is it's, it's, it's the end. Like there, there's no coming back from that. And it's a very selfish and egotistical decision that ultimately again, leaves a wake of destruction in its path. So from the bottom of my heart, um, if you ever are going through that, find somebody. And if it means that you need to reach out to Jason or myself, uh, do so. Uh, Jason, thank you for being vulnerable and opening up. Um, what, what little tidbits, like if you have one thing to leave, uh, our fundamentalism podcast listeners with, what would it be? Yeah, I actually, if you don't mind, I have actually two things. I just came yeah. to my head. I think Dude, if important. you want to leave four, I would give you that platform. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe we can do that in another episode. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but the first one is, uh, give life a chance to get better. I know a lot of us are going through some things right now, but the kind of what you, back to what your optimism, you know, positive optimism, meaning like. Not every day is going to be, you know, uh, bunnies and ice cream, but, uh, you know, believe that one day it will. Like there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. And even though that, even if that light is dim, keep walking towards the positivity part of it and, and be okay with being sad some days. It's okay. You know, that they're all their emotions. They were given to us for a reason, but learn that they're not permanent. There's only temporary. And then the second one is ask yourself the right questions. Like, I know you talked about, like we talked uh, earlier, you mentioned, we ask ourselves the wrong like, questions like, well, why isn't this working? Or why is this so hard? And so what I've done is what I've learned from a mentor of mine is ask yourself the right questions. And I call them EWQs or empowering why questions. And I have a list of like 35 questions that I have on a record. I ask myself them over and over again because your mind is a answer-seeking mechanism. And any question you ask yourself, it is going to find an answer. So if you ask yourself, why is life hard? It's going, to, it's going to tell you why life is hard. If you ask yourself, why does my life flow with ease and comfort and I, my dreams come to me quickly? That's also going to, if you're just asking yourself the right questions over and over and over again. And then eventually, it's like putting uh, fertilizer on affirmations. Man, I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> uh, this is the second time we've ever talked. <laughs> this is Maybe, Yeah. That's true. That's right. Yeah. We've, we've communicated via uh, LinkedIn messaging. Yeah. Whatever. Maybe this is the second time that I've seen your face never in person, uh, but we FaceTime and I'll tell you that there are a lot of people that talk uh, in this world and there's others that do. And I remember following our phone conversation, you introduced me immediately to five people, four or five people via text message. And uh, I thank you for that, my friend. 
So uh, in closing, Jason Holzer, the two things uh, amongst the million that I wrote down, give life a chance for things to get better. Give life a chance for things to get better. And the second, ask yourself the right questions. Uh, specifically, he leveraged a principle called EWQs or empowering why questions. Guys, you can find the answers if you're asking the right questions. Seek to manifest greatness. Gravitate towards the things that give you smile. Jason Holzer, if people want to get a hold of you or they want to find more about you, where do they go? Yeah, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter. You know, I'm on all the social media platforms. Uh, 40athletes.com is our website for uh, 40 athletes. Uh, it's 4D as in dog, athletes.com. Uh, if you want to learn more about what we're getting ready to roll out, uh, with that coming up here in a couple of weeks here in mid September, um, you know, on how we're looking to change a generation of, of youth athletes to become uh, phenomenal adults. Love it. Your book shattered by suicide, renewed by resilience is available on Amazon. Is that accurate? Yeah. Amazon it's on ebook. It's also on audible, uh, which I got a really cool story on how I got my book to audible too. Give it to me. I, so I put it out there like on Amazon has a platform where you can have people audition for it. And I'll make this a really quick story, but uh, a guy from Las Vegas auditioned for it. He's like, Hey, you know, sorry for your loss. Um, I have a similar experience. So I was like, okay, maybe that might be it. And so we connected and, and we got talking and he lost his son to suicide on the exact same day. I lost my dad to suicide. Wow. Not, not just like the same month, not like the same day. And he and he is a Christian radio station manager in Las Vegas, so he has all the equipment. And he was like, "I want to do this." I was like, "You would do way better than I would," because I don't have the equipment. I don't have like you know, you finding people that do things better than you and letting them take over. Yes. That was one of those moments. And it was a total, you know, God moment, happenstance, whatever you want to call it, because I could have done that myself if I tried. You know, so it was one of those. Uh, divine moments that, you know, the right connection just came and there's really not much that I did besides put it out there and then hope the right person came back. The universe works as and when it should, my friend. That's uh, mm -hmm. that's manifestation. Hey, thank you. I, I greatly appreciate you, uh, you sharing your story, being open, uh, and ultimately really having um, some tactical things that we could do to grow uh, as a result of your situation and hopes that we could persevere through ours. So thank you, brother. I appreciate you so much. To the Fundamism podcast listener, we couldn't do this without you. We appreciate your support. If you're challenged in life right now and you need help, reach out and find some. Give life a chance to get better. From the bottom of my heart, we appreciate you. Go do something fun today and create some fun in the lives of others until we see you on the flip side. Deuces. Deuces.